Edmonton's affordable housing strategy. This week, council's on break, so we don't have to do a weekly recap of council. Or we do, and we can sum it up as beach bums. We're joined by Duncan Kinney, the Executive Director of Progress Alberta, to talk about the affordable housing strategy in Edmonton. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 48. Like I said, we'll be joined by Duncan Kinney on this show today. But as with all guests, they come in after we get our rapid fire out of the way, which guests typically can't participate in because we don't want to put those words in their mouths. Guests don't want to be sued. We at Taproot Edmonton invite <laughs> you to sue us, Carrie Diop. No, not really, actually. <laughs> <laughs> A horse chestnut tree in downtown Edmonton, surrounded by dumpsters and a parking lot, will soon turn 100 years old. The chair of the Edmonton Historical Board, Dan Rose, hopes to clean up the small parklet and install a commemorative plaque in celebration. He hopes that a bit of cleanup and attention can re-spark Edmontonians' interest in the Hollowock tree after several years of neglect. Many in the community applauded Rose's efforts to fight against the status quo. One nearby resident we talked to said, Old, lonely, forgotten, and surrounded by dumpsters and parking lots. If that's not the quintessential Edmonton experience, I don't know what is. Quinn Goldie, or Quinja when she's active, is an Edmonton ninja who will be heading to the Ninja World Championship in Minneapolis this weekend. This type of ninja championship is different from how we typically think about storybook ninjas. It's an extreme athletic sport focused on running, climbing, agility, and balance. A more typical storybook ninja, one that can be neither seen nor heard, can be found in Edmonton's pedestrian safety strategy. Taste of Edmonton is trialing mobile and digital tickets for the first time. The festival has reported positive reviews from patrons who have described it as useful, great, and not a total waste of money. So, while you can head to Taste of Edmonton until Sunday to get a small sample of what Edmonton has to offer in terms of food, the mobile app experience will not reflect what it's like to use an Edmonton mobile app. For that, we're going to need another $550,000 and a usability focus group comprised of 80-year-old men who have never used a computer. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. This week, we're going to tell you about the Well Endowed Podcast, a production of the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden. It explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. ECF helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. New episodes come out a couple of times a month. You can read the show notes and subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. So like I said, we're not alone today. We're joined by Duncan Kenny. Welcome to the show, Duncan. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I didn't give you an intro. What? How would you describe yourself? So I am the executive director of Progress Alberta. We're an independent nonprofit. We do political organizing, community organizing, research, training, all that sorts of thing. But I am also the host of The Progress Report, a newly launched podcast by Progress Alberta, which you should totally listen to. And this is foreign-funded propaganda, correct? Of course, 100%, yeah. <laughs> this is a joke for listeners who are not appraised of the current Kenny Attack ads. I, l I liked your joke, by the way. I just have to say quickly on the Taste of Edmonton. Have you guys been yet? Yes, I have. Did um, you use the app? I did. Yeah, it, it was great, right? It works. You scan a QR code and it deducts from your balance. It's uh, pretty cool. Granted, it is just a QR code. I did think about it when I saw it sneaking over someone's shoulder, snapping a picture of their phone and then depleting their accounts. There's some kinks to work out. <laughs> I, I prefer to just go to the restaurant that I like. And um, I mean, I've been in Edmonton seven, eight years now, like. Uh, no, Taste of Edmonton. Not your jam. Mm -mm. 
Uh, I hope when we go again, the fountains are turned on. Anyway, that's a bit of lighter stuff. Before we get into the heavier stuff, we're talking about affordable housing. So we're glad to have you here to, to talk about this topic you're pretty passionate about. Uh, I'm passionate housing. about it. One, a, 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 you know, a topic which I think is full of jokes and like light. No, no, absolutely not. But but it is, I think, extremely important. So I am happy to be here to chat about it. Cool. And this topic came to us. It was basically Duncan sent us an email and he's like, look, here's a bunch of information that I don't think anyone's really talking about and that I think deserves to be talked about. And now there's a show about it. So if you, dear listener, have an underserved issue that you think we need to talk about, send us an email. And if you do the show prep work for us, that's just work <laughs> off our back. Um, but Mac, you want to set some baselines here in terms of definitions and some facts. Yeah. I mean, we have touched on on the show before whenever council has talked about affordable housing or permanent supportive housing and probably have used those terms interchangeably. Uh, and so the first thing I thought it might be useful to do is just to give a bit of an overview of definitions. And we'll link in the show notes to this actually really good um, diagram that Sid, the city of Edmonton has produced. And it shows you the difference between uh, non-market housing and market housing. And and under non-market housing, we have you know short-term accommodation and shelter spaces. So these are short-term accommodations for people who are homeless. Um, there's then supportive housing and supported housing. These are things like seniors lodges, assisted living spaces, um, where there's some supports available to the folks that are living there. Then there's social housing, which is community housing with rent that is geared to income. And then we get up into affordable housing like Cornerstones, the city program, or Habitat for Humanity, or housing that is in some way below market rate. And then we get up to market rate housing. So that's kind of the spectrum of housing that might be difficult to follow if you're if you're listening to this. But as I said, we'll, we'll post a nice little diagram in there for you to take a look at. Uh, so, you know, we talk about affordable housing. That is in the city's diagram, the, the largest chunk of, of this. Um, but there are three types that the city talks about most specifically in their in their numbers. So we know there are 60,000 Edmonton households that are in housing need. And that is um, accommodations aren't suitable or they're paying more than 30% of their gross income on rent. And there's like around 22,000 uh, Edmonton households that are spending more than 50% of their income on rent, which is kind of like the severe housing need people's how they're kind of defined by, you know, the, the civil servants who are kind of building these reports. And these numbers like the 30%, 50%, those come from federal... Plans, yeah, that's right? like StatsCan data. Yeah, right. Yeah. So in Edmonton, sixty thousand that includes uh, twenty one thousand affordable housing units, twenty five thousand units of social housing, and about a thousand units of permanent supportive housing. So if you look at that diagram, you can see where those things come into play. And and I also think it's worth talking about. I mean, the kind of latest Edmonton homeless count. Like homeless counts are not. Um, there are snapshots in time, they're imperfect documents, but like the 2016 homeless count had like 1,700, 1,750 people who were kind of classified as as homeless. And and again, that's not the like best data, that's not the most reliable data, and those numbers shift on seasons and time and all sorts of reasons. But there, it is worth pointing out that there is a significant amount of permanent homeless people who are in Edmonton. And, and, and perhaps even referring to them as homeless is unfair. Like these are people who just don't have homes right now. Right. Yeah. It could be a temporary situation of some kind, right? It doesn't have to be permanently homeless. Um, but as you say, it's a tool that we have to gauge um, how many people don't have a place to have a shelter over their head tonight. Um, and what I've heard said, actually, I'd be interested in your take on this, is that you would expect a city to have a non-zero number of homeless people because cities are where the supports are that attract folks that that need them. Perhaps, but I would rather reframe the conversation around unhoused people in a way that I think people can kind of understand and grok, which is that yeah. like I view having people without homes as an emergency, right? Like if you do not have a house 
it is an emergency. You need a house to live. Right. And you live in Edmonton and like in eight months of the year. It's very cold. Yeah. Uh, a person not having a house is akin to like a building that's on fire or a bank that's being robbed, like something that we immediately allocate resources to. And like if a house is on fire, we immediately send a fire truck. If, if a bank is being robbed, we immediately send police. We have, you know, between 1500 to 2000 like homeless people in Edmonton right now. And like it's not an emergency. And I think that's I think I think it speaks to our priorities that it's that we don't treat it as an emergency. And in fact, we can kind of keep producing these reports. We talk about it as this problem to be managed. But like we need to get these people into homes now. And like that is the kind of urgency I want to bring to this conversation. Okay. so last bit of context then I'll do is just to talk a little bit about what you just touched on, what the city has done so far and the sort of path that they've they've taken. Right. So uh, on the city of Edmonton website, you can find a little bit of this information. We built a thousand units of family housing between 1969 and 1974. So when you look back that far, the city's talking about building houses. Uh, they created Home Ed in 1977, which you're going to talk a little bit about. This is um, a, a wholly owned subsidiary, I guess, of the city. Edmonton Corporation. Yeah, yeah corporation controlled by Edmonton. And then we get into more recent times. And in 2003, we created a task force on affordable housing. And in 2000 you know, the late aughts, we, we launched the Cornerstones program to to build some housing. And then we adopted this new strategy in 2015. So even on the city's own webpage, I, was, I found it interesting that the earlier stuff was about building housing and the later stuff is about plans to build housing. Yeah. And, and I think this speaks to how the city of Edmonton views themselves, uh, like what as, as far as what role they want to play in this emergency. And like, you know, in the documents, you know, that, that we will put in the show notes, like it seems that they primarily view themselves as a limited funding partner. And that's how they define them themselves and like viewing yourself as a limited funding partner by definition like limits the the role that you're going to be playing in this emergency and like providing funding providing land acting as a broker between various levels of government like that's important work i don't want to diminish that yeah but again this is an emergency people don't have homes this is edmonton it's cold the fact that that we're not building homes right now for people is like a tragedy to me. We're going to address what city councilors who are listening to this are screaming into their computers right now is, it's not our problem, it's the other order of government, which to some extent, fair point. Some of this social housing and affordable housing initiatives needs to fall to the province and to some extent the federal government, and historically it hasn't. They haven't picked up the slack. To what extent do you think the city should be on the hook here? Granted, yeah, it's the house is on fire. Someone needs to put it out. But at some point, the house has been on fire for a few decades and we're the only ones who's even been spraying a garden hose on it. I mean, we live in a society and we, we live in a society where we want to take care of each other, ideally, right? Like this is the society that we want to build for each other. Like bickering about which level of government is supposed to pay for it, like doesn't solve the problem. And I don't disagree that like other levels of government need to be involved. I think that distracts from ultimately like what we should be doing, which is like building publicly owned and operated housing, which is like just not a priority of the city of Edmonton. So what the city did do recently was launched uh, shovelready.ca. So this was earlier in 2019. And it's a website. If you go to shovelready.ca, you can read all about the numbers we've already told you. And it's a plan to build 5,000 new units of affordable housing over the next five years. And the city estimates it would cost one just over $1.1 billion to do that in the capital budget, which we've talked about at length before. Council approved $140 million. But we get, what, six cents of every tax dollar? Like, we do need most of the money from the other orders of government, do we not? 
Yeah, I mean, and shovel ready is like a fine plan, and it's like you know it lays out a bunch of goals, and it makes sense. Like, I'm I'm not here just to slam what the city is doing. Uh, I am here to say that more needs to be done, and and more needs to be done specifically on the like publicly owned and operated housing front. Like, ultimately, at the end of the day, the city of Edmonton can facilitate levels of can facilitate grants and funding, and try and leverage more dollars for this, that, and the other thing between nonprofits and charities and agencies and the province and this, that, and the other thing. But like, at the end of the day, you just gotta like build right and 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 if the other levels of government aren't stepping up you've just got to build and like and i'm also saying that if we wanted to treat this as an emergency there the city of edmonton has a tremendous amount of of ability to raise money they can be like look everyone uh, we're going to build houses for homeless people everyone gets an extra hundred dollars on their on a one-time you know hundred dollar extra bill on their um property tax mm. and that goes into a, a fund which we will use to build houses to home people to house people are you saying you like you wouldn't pay that extra hundred dollars one time fee to, to get this capital off the ground. Like, like I would, I don't know about you, Troy. I mean, I know that we just fought through a budget debate where we're talking about a 3% increase, which equates to less than a hundred dollars on the average property tax assessment. And that was the end of the world. It was very contentious. Um, yeah. So perhaps maybe the hundred dollar one-time assessment isn't as politically feasible as you might have presented it right here, but whether the politics justify the morality of it, that's another question. Yeah. Like I'm not a politician. It's really easy for me to say that, but again, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's not my problem to deal with like angry voters who are like, Zo MG, I got a hundred dollar bill because you're going to house the homeless. Like do it. Um, I'm not here to negotiate like, it's Edmonton. People need homes. Build some homes. So how else could we do that? Like we've got this 140 million. We have a vehicle, I guess, in 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 home ed. Is is that a way to build more houses right away? I mean, if you want to bring up home, ed, I mean, hey, I'm just going to interject for the listener. Maybe explain what home ed is. Yeah, there you go. So home ed is a uh, good good reminder, Troy. Um, as we said, it's a corporation owned by the city of Edmonton. It was started in the late 70s, and it currently owns and operates 19 properties in Edmonton with a total of 807 housing units. I looked a little closer at that, and actually, only five of those properties and 149 of those units seem to be funded through the city. The rest of their funding is uh, agreements with CMHC, not the feds, and Alberta Housing. So this is a corporation that the city has, though, that is specifically set up to build and operate public housing. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I think it's worth comparing um, what Home Ed does to the kind of equivalent agency in Calgary, uh, which is called the like the Calgary Housing Corporation. And, you know, based on reading the latest annual general report from the Calgary Housing Corporation, they seem to have around 2,200 publicly owned and operated housing units uh, on that they own and, and operate. And, and I mean, again, that's way more than we have in Edmonton and, and Calgary is still obviously struggling with housing. There are folks who don't have houses as well. So it's not to say that like Calgary is doing much better when it comes to Edmonton on this file, but it's just that Edmond Calgary has done much better on like actually owning, operating, building publicly owned and operated housing, which I think when you look at this uh, problem, like the public society has to, to do this work and it has to be owned, operated, built by the public because this is fundamentally like a public problem, right? Yeah. Like to expect charities, to expect nonprofits to, to solve this emergency is unfair. Like ultimately it's up to us as a society to be like, oh, you don't have a house. We need to build you a house. And, and it speaks to like a wider problem uh, kind of within when you start talking about this problem, which is that housing is viewed as a commodity. Right. And and houses are viewed as as a way for people to build wealth and yeah. housing is viewed as a way for people to store value. And it's like, no, 
Like a house is, you need a house to live. There is no other like centrally important commodity <laughs> that, that, that is treated like houses are treated. And, and so we, we have these kind of competing interests at hand, right? You have like landlords and developers who like want to make money. And then you have like people who need houses to live. We do need to make like a serious effort to like decommodify housing because otherwise we will just be nibbling around on the edges of this problem. So I think what is the very salient example of your point is how we talk about this problem. We talked about it at the top of the show when we were doing definitions. There's market housing and there's non-market housing. The idea that a housing that isn't sold and bought on the market as a commodity is different from the norm. Um, now, am I suggesting that we seize the means of production and go full Stalin on Edmonton? Probably not. Maybe our architecture downtown would exemplify that. <laughs> but how do you rationalize the difference of we do live in a capitalist society here and we have people who, for better or worse, have based their wealth on purchasing housing? So we have huge debt to asset ratios in Canada and the biggest debt is housing. I mean, we we kind of live in a capitalist society. Like, healthcare is universally accessible and available. When I when I if me or one of my members of my family goes to the hospital, I don't have to pull out a credit card, and I don't walk away from that transaction bankrupt. And viewing housing as healthcare, like like what is the difference at the end of the day? You need both to live. You need both to survive. They're both fundamental human needs. Um, and so like. Uh, I mean, what's what's Daryl Cates? Who's in Daryl Cates' house right now? When you look at, so we should repatriate Daryl Cates' house for uh, permanent supportive housing. Yes. I think we should expropriate Daryl Cates' house and immediately turn it into permanent supportive <laughs> housing. Yes, he's he's not using it. I'm pretty sure he's not there right now. I mean, I'm only half joking. Like when you look at the ways that like UK, uh, the UK or other countries like deal with this problem, it's like council housing. Like they just own houses, they put people in them, they 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 deal with it, right? And like that type of mindset just doesn't for whatever reason just doesn't exist in Edmonton. So putting myself in the shoes of a listener who might be thinking, well, when I hear about public housing or social housing, I think of like the projects or really terrible places to live. I mean, I know that's not really what we're talking about. If you look at the Cornerstones program, it supported things like Mayfair Village on Jasper and 109th, which looks far from what you would imagine on TV as the projects. But like what what does the housing look like? Is it is it the position that it's a house a roof is better than nothing or is it actually livable? I mean fundamentally you want, you know, a place with four four walls and a roof, you know, kitchen, bathroom. Uh, we're not talking about stuff that has to be high end. We're just have, talking about stuff that has to be durable, that has to be livable. Um I mean bringing up the examples of like projects or like undesirable housing like Th those things become that way because of under underinvestment and typically like systemic racism, right? Because sure. the people who end up living in these things tend to be like not rich white people. So they tend to get less investment from government. Again, it, this comes down to viewing housing as a, as a human right, viewing housing as like a fundamental need for people to live and viewing people who don't have houses or don't have a roof over their head as an emergency. And like, this is this is just what I want to keep coming back to. If it was an emergency, we would seize Daryl Cates' house and turn it into permanent supportive housing. But we are not viewing it as an emergency and we're not like going that way right now. So earlier this year, like we said, council launched this campaign to try to get other orders of government to put money. And I'm guessing the councillors listening are going to feel like, no, we do agree that it's an emergency. And we have been making the case to the media that we need to do something dramatic about affordable housing. What else do you think they should be doing aside from expropriating David Daryl Cates' house? What we're looking at with the city's approach is like a neoliberal technocratic fix, 
right? And I don't think this is a problem where a neoliberal technocratic fix is going to solve the problem. And I think more drastic options have to be on the table. And I mean, I view my as a as a public figure and as someone who is talking about this issue, like, yes, like Michael Walters and the handful of other counselors who have put a lot of time into the current plan as it exists are going to be mad at me. But like, I don't care. It's not my it's not my job to be to negotiate with them. My job is to tell them to do better. And I think that they have to do better. Uh, like I walk up and down 96th Street every day with my child and my dog. This is how I get my daughter to and from daycare. Like these people are our neighbors. These people are our community members. These people need a roof over their head. <laughs> and then like that's all I'm asking for here is, is to treat this as an emergency, to start building homes now. Like the plan right now is to build I mean, there's, there's all these plans to build thousands of, of, of you know affordable housing units over the next few years. But like, again, 200 ones that are owned and operated by the city. Like, that's just not enough. So let's jump out of the abstract a little bit and talk concretion. Right now, we have a sort of debate around the tools that we use to address the housing problem. We've had in varying degrees zoning attempted as the tool to solve this housing problem make it easier for private developers to build non-market housing including upzoning and zoning pluses for developers that include more non-market and supportive housing those sorts of things and i'm getting the sense from you that you think that hasn't worked i mean there's no there's no reason why like capitalism is going to solve this homelessness problem Right. Like capitalism is what gave us this homelessness problem to think that like, oh, if we give the right incentives or if we put a price on X or a price on Y, we'll fix it. Like there's just I just don't believe that that's that's not the way our society works. Like it does take a strong, you know, publicly owned, publicly operated force operate in this sector to to decommodify housing. Right. Like because there's so much money and capital tied up in like the housing development industry, like it, there's no money, <laughs> there's no money to be made in affordable housing. Right. The stuff oh, by that, definition. Yeah. Right. Like the stuff that and there shouldn't be right. Like so like the stuff that the stuff that gets built by developers is built to make money. The stuff um, that we need, like if, if people need a roof over their head and it's emergency, it, it's like um, what's what's a good equivalent? Like there's no there's no market for organs. Right. Like we have very. Oh, do I beg to differ (laughs) on that one? But we have very consciously decided to have a healthcare system that doesn't put a price on organs. Sure. Because uh, what do you think happens when we put a price on organs? Like people end up in bathtubs with like, you know, giant scars. And so, uh, I mean, you can look at this. We have decided, unfortunately, like in this case, houses are organs. Like you need a you need a house to live. But instead, we have put a price on houses and people are ending up in bathtubs with giant scars in their backs. And and it is like it is happening all the time. Every day I walk by people who don't have homes. So from the city perspective, there's absolutely nothing that the city can do to tear down the capitalism of housing markets. We can't make all housing socialism overnight from a city level. So within the existing system, I can see like our options as a city are we can either become a housing developer and build a house with a bunch of units and house some people there, or we can buy units in existing developments. The one thing that our council has been very clear about is that they don't like the idea of building a high rise and making all affordable housing. We want a mix of affordable housing within existing units and existing neighborhoods and spread across the city to prevent the projects, to prevent um, the concentration. Slum. Yeah. It, the idea that some place could become a slum and the reverse of gentrification. These are all fears that NIMBYs tend to have. And so council of the day has tried to avoid that by saying we want housing dispersed across the city. 
The only way to get that across the city is to basically buy units in existing housing developments. There's a big cost associated with that, probably bigger than shovelready.ca. We, it's $1.1 billion for 5,000 units was our ambitious plan. But if we're just buying developer properties and owning them as a city, there's a huge cost associated. How do we fund this? I mean, to get to just go back a little bit in the conversation, you're worried about publicly owned housing turning into slums. But like, what about the privately owned housing that's already slums? Like, like the the podcast that just came out, Slumtown, right? Like, we've had a, a very well, we haven't had a very thorough discussion of 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 what that podcast uh, said and did. We did on our podcast, by the way. Listen to the progress report. But the like, like we already have like the people on the like lowest rung of our societal ladder already are in this precarious state where they have to deal with like people who are like the 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 antagonist in that Slumtown podcast, right? Who are like taking he advantage. He who shall not be he named. He who shall not be named. Um, yeah, Carmen Pervez. Um, so he said it, not Mac or Troy. <laughs> like these people are forced to deal with landlords like that, right? Landlords who are who are taking advantage of them. Landlord, like all sorts of the like dodgy stuff that's talked about in that podcast, right? This is happening in the private sector already and people are already like like according to this podcast it's a huge problem i mean i would argue with the way the podcast frames it and everything to be concerned about that before you've even built it it strikes me as 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 a concern trolling right and so does it come down to then like back to your question about how do we fund it does it just come down to choices like mm-hmm. we need to decide to put more money into this and less money into it what? comes down to like what kind of society do do we want to live in and what are our priorities I mean, we can look to our neighbors for the South right now who just approved a 60 million cut to services, fire, police, transit, libraries. And some affordable housing, 13%. And some, af- and some affordable housing. And also from the other side of their mouth, approved 209, tentatively approved $290 million for a new Flames Arena. Uh, we're talking about Calgary, uh, by the way. Like governments have have a proven ability. Governments at all levels have a proven ability to magic up all sorts of funding, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars when they need it for things like a hockey arena. Um, if <laughs> right, like if we were to all of a sudden magic magic up two hundred and ninety million dollars immediately to build affordable housing, like how far uh, down the road would we be to actually solving this problem? In your reading and research about this, have you come across any other jurisdictions that you would consider like? models that we should be following or other places that have had a better success rate at trying to tackle this? I mean, I mean, the literature on this is pretty clear. Like this has been an issue that's been studied to death. Like a housing first model is the one that works, build houses, put people in houses, problem solved. You save money on, uh, you but save are there money. places that have been able to fund that? I guess is the question. I mean, the, the, the example in, in Alberta is medicine hat. Um, I know there's been some work done in like Palo Alto, but it, none of these programs have been like done at scale, right? right? Like you, every, a lot of these things are like are, are, are pilots or things that have been done to like study a concept, but I'm not, I mean, prove me wrong, you know, at Duncan Kinney, talk to me on Twitter. Like if there is an example of like a city that has really gotten this right at scale, that is doing this housing first model that is built houses publicly owned houses and like as fast as they can um like i want to know about it because like i don't know about it and we should learn about it as a city then Mm -hmm. and this strikes me as the same discussion that we have around public transit we have endless numbers of reports that show that investing in public transit pays you dividends it saves you money over the cost of all your service delivery we see the same thing with social housing and social disorder you give people homes and calls for service from police, from ambulance, from hospitals, you end up saving money by just giving these people some homes to live in and live their lives with a bit of dignity. But yet we don't see the commensurate investments to act 
act on this information. I wonder if you feel this is almost like the current debate around the Green New Deal or the climate emergency that we're trying to get governments to treat things as an emergency rather than something to bureaucratically study again and again in another report. Yeah, like like the state has an incredible amount of power to like raise money and solve problems. And to think that this is a problem that we can solve on our, on our own with a donation to charity or as an individual is false, right? Like we do need to come together as a society to collectively decide to solve our problems, be it climate change or be it people without homes. And so, <laughs> I mean, again, it all comes back down to like we live in a society. What kind of society do we want to live in? And I don't want to live in a society that lets people live without a home in Edmonton. And that's why I'm here talking to you. And I, and I realized that, like, again, the city of Edmonton is working on this. They're trying. They're trying their best. But I don't see anyone out in the public sphere with saying the things that I'm saying. And there's no one on council kind of saying the things I'm saying. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity to come on your podcast and be like and, and to have and to say these things out loud. So if you were to give an action item to council, I know you're listening, a couple of you counselors. You have their ear right now, Duncan. What's the action item that they can do, not tomorrow, in four weeks when they get back to council? What's what's the start here? I mean, again, if we view it as an emergency, if people without homes is an emergency, it's something we need to solve, like a house on fire or a bank robbery in progress. Um, you know, levy that $100 one-time fee, build up a capital fund so that you can start building uh, accommodation and housing units for people now. Again, there's these great plans city is trying its best, but like you have to start construction of publicly owned and operated housing and it has to be a priority because fundamentally you don't control the stuff that you don't own, you don't build, you don't manage. Well, thanks, Duncan. Uh, you've given us a lot to think about, especially where to invest our money. And people like to invest their money in this podcast in the form of us reading their ads. And go figure, we're in Unit B right now and reading their ad. Unit B is a multi-company co-working space focused on helping people pursue their passions and make Edmonton its creative best. You can join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations all dedicated to getting things done and making things better. And just like we're in the Unit B podcasting studio right now trying to make things better for people all over Edmonton. Wow. What a community-minded organization. Thanks, Unit B. You can book a tour today at unitb.ca, and it's right by the LRT station. You can use public transit to get here, and that's solving the climate emergency. Duncan, you've been in Unit B for a while now, right? Yes, Unit B is great. Oh, we're shilling hard <laughs> for Unit plug, B. Guest plug. Um, that's all for this week. Duncan, thanks for joining us. Um, you plugged it several times, not during the plug segment, but I'll give you one last chance. Got anything to plug before you go? I mean, if you want to yell at me or uh, tell me about how I'm wrong or really right, I'm at Duncan Kinney on Twitter. Again, I'm the executive director of Progress Alberta. We have a amazing new podcast out called The Progress Report. Please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Um, yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity to chat with, uh, with you folks and your audience. Great to have you here. And we'll have a, a bunch of your research in the show notes for everybody to check out. Until next week, not next week, no. until the next time we talk to you, which would be... August 16th. August 16th. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Duncan. And we're... Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Oh, nailed it. <laughs>